Hey guys, Dr. Greg here from Dr. Greg Functional Medicine. And on this episode of A Daily Dose with Dr. Greg, I'm going to jump into the world of allergies. This is something that has not only impacted my family, it has impacted literally hundreds, if not thousands of the lives of my patients in my career. So I'm gonna jump in. I've got a pile of notes here. I've done some literature reviews. I've gathered some, some data from some other sources. And my hope is that I can help answer some questions that I've got over my career about allergies and what they are. So the first piece of reference I got was from the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. And here's what they said. This is a real thing going on. It says 50 million Americans suffer from chronic allergies. Get this, one in five of them live in daily fear of an asthma attack or a life-threatening reaction. So when we talk about allergies, it's not just um, like hay fever or a seasonal allergy or trees are blooming. These are also people that have food allergies and this could be um, an allergy like a peanut allergy or a shellfish allergy all the way to uh, if I if I eat the the wrong uh, if I eat gluten for example I bloat or if I eat uh, you know corn I get the bags under my eyes or I don't sleep well I really want to address the big picture of this and answer some of the questions around that now a lot of people we've been taught in the world is hey just put a band-aid on it um, you know a lot of times people if they have a headache they take an, an, an ibuprofen or an Advil. And think about this, is a headache really a lack of ibuprofen? Is an allergy really a lack of Benadryl or Claritin? And I wanna talk about that for a second because it is really common for people to jump into that. And this is a piece of research that scared the socks off of me. I'm gonna read this word for word here. So. A 2019 study from the University of Washington found that people who used these drugs, and these drugs are what we call uh, the first generation drugs like Benadryl. Uh, people who use these drugs long-term were more likely to be diagnosed with dementia than those not using them. Get this, this the, the more the study participants used first generation antihistamines and other anticholinergic drugs, the greater the dementia risk. People who took an anticholinergic drug like Benadryl for the equivalent of three years had a 54% higher dementia risk than those who took the same dose for less than three months. Now, according to research also, and I don't have the reference in front of me, the greatest fear of people under 50 years old is cancer. And the greatest fear of those over 50 years old is dementia, like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. And it's a real thing. My own family has been greatly impacted by dementia. And I know that if you're watching this, you know somebody else too who's been impacted by that. As we go in, one of the hypotheses that we talked about was the hygiene hypothesis. And I really like this because like I grew up kind of in a small town close to the country and around farms and ranches and I really don't have any allergies. So this is actually um, a, a quote here. It says, the hygiene hypothesis as it was first discovered in 1989 found that children with a greater number of older siblings have the lowest rates of hay fever. And then this is actually from the 1999 uh, British Journal of Medicine stated over the past century, 
declining family size, uh, improvements in household amenities, the higher standards of personal cleanliness have reduced the opportunities for cross-infection in young families. Interesting. This may also have resulted in more widespread clinical expression of atopic disease emerging earlier in wealthier people as, as seems to have occurred for hay fever. So the idea of your house must be perfect. It must be clean. The reality is it's when we're exposed to those things. I joke and say, I lived by farms. I breathed in cow poop and horse poop that was dried and blown into the air. And I breathed it in and increased my immune system. So this concept around the hygiene hypothesis is a lot of just that. So if, if you are that, that dare I call it that clean freak, be mindful because it's, it's the things that we breathe in can actually not, as long as we're not breathing in toxic things can impact us. It also said here that uh, antibiotics are an obvious culprit for altering the immune system via the microbiome. And we're gonna talk about that microbiome. Uh, 2018, this is the Centers of Disease Control. Uh, that they said nearly 67 anti 67 million rather million so a 2018 report from the U.S. Centers of Disease Control and Prevention the CDC claimed that nearly 67 million antibiotic prescriptions were written for children younger than 19. The most common were a broad-based spectrum amoxicillin 35% of them and erythromycin 18%. The CDC calls this concerning. The CDC calls this concerning, you guys, since prescribing this class of antibiotics is rarely recommended and can lead to super infections. That is wild. The CDC in 2019 then stated antibiotics turn out to be the reason for about 70,000 emergency room visits every year for children with adverse drug events, many of which involve allergic reactions to drugs. Uh, um, the Journal of the American Medical Association pediatric version of 2018 said this, antibiotic use has been linked to chronic allergic disease. A study that looked at the records of 792,130, that's a huge study, you guys, American children from 2001 to 2013 found children prescribed acid suppressant medications or antibiotics in the first six months of life. Think of like ear infections and how common it is that they just throw antibiotics on otitis media. By the way, I, I believe it says less than 5% of otitis media is actually an ear infection that is appropriately uh, treated by an antibiotic. So it says, um, in the first six months of life, we're significantly more likely to develop allergic diseases, including asthma, hay fever, and anaphylaxis. That is absolutely wild. One of the things that we see clinically because we test for it in our labs is something called leaky gut syndrome. So one of the things that, that we know when we talk about allergies is it's the gut. There's this thing called the gut-brain axis and a huge amount of your, um, even your lymphatic system. We know now that 80% of your lymphatic system lies within your liver and your large intestine, right in that gut area. So get this, this is from uh, the journal Frontiers in Immunology in 2021. It said, hundreds of studies now look at how bacterial products called endotoxins and foreign proteins from food can leak through the gut lining and enter the bloodstream, thereby triggering the immune system's potent assault 
weaponry and cause chronic inflammation. We now know, this was even the cover of Time Magazine more than 10 years ago. It said the, the underlying factor of chronic disease is inflammation. So here even states, and as, as crazy as it sounds, so let's, let's break down leaky gut for a second. So leaky gut is literally, your, your cell lining is only one cell layer thick. So if this is a cell and this is a cell, this junction is called a tight junction. So leaky gut is literally where there's a gap in that tight junction. And that's where it says here, foreign, food prote foreign proteins from food can leak through the gut lining and enter the bloodstream. And then your body has a allergic response to it. So again, it may not be that the, you're allergic to the food. It may mean that you have a leaky gut and you have to go in and rock that out. Now, what I can tell you is when you properly test for it, and the marker that we see that's on a traditional blood test is something called total protein. Now it has nothing to do with how many chicken breasts or wild caught pieces of salmon you eat. Total protein asks, because the protein is leaking from the intestine into the bloodstream. So if that number is too low or if that number is too high, it is a strong indicator of leaky gut syndrome. Now, we also need to understand that the reference ranges that are used in Western medicine and the reference ranges that are used in functional medicine are very different reference ranges. So total protein um, less than 6.9 or greater than 7.4 in the world of functional medicine would be indicative of leaky gut syndrome. And there, there's got to be many other components, but that is the one of the clinical findings that we see in regards to leaky gut syndrome. So by the way, we see a lot of it. There's actually um, even some findings that talk about uh, concussions and traumatic brain injuries and how 30 minutes after a, a concussion, you actually have leaky gut syndrome because of the, what's called the gut-brain axis. And we'll have to talk more about that because that is absolutely wild. A few other supplements that can um, that can that can help with these allergy components. Well, the first thing is we have to heal the leaky gut. So this is talking about membrane integrity and, and healing that tight junction and making sure that we're giving the body antioxidants to, to combat the inflammation. There's some research on zinc and, and what it can do. Here's a, here's a, a 2020 review of studies into zinc L-carnosine reported that it's potent anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effects are the likely reason for its uh, report reported effects on healing ulcers and gastrointestinal injury. We're also a big fan of probiotics. It says here, strong evidence uh, suggests for the use of probiotic agents for improving symptoms of allergic rhinitis. This is from a 2021 paper in, the, in America. So uh, 2021, a 2021 review of the medical literature on probiotics and eczema, so a skin reaction, outlined a number of clinical trials and meta-analysis in which lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, which are two different probiotic strains, were shown to reduce the risk of atopic dermatitis in infants and children. And a 2018 double-blind randomized control of 50 children between four and 17 found that a mixture of bifidobacterium strains reduced the severity of eczema. So you guys, there is study after study. Another topic that people talk about is this thing called a fecal microbiome transplant, literally a poop transplant. So here's actually, it says here, there's like a clinical trial is underway at Boston Children's Hospital to assess whether fecal, fecal microbiota transplants from a healthy individual can improve peanut allergies. And I have, I have had many patients that have done these on their own and had some pretty crazy success. You see, 
If you're not taking the right probiotic orally, it gets, it gets killed in your stomach acid. So it's super important to take acid resistant strains. And by the way, most of the products in the market today, I'm just gonna say it what they are, they're garbage, they don't work. Um, we also wanna talk about immune regulating like nutrients. So this is actually from uh, Frontiers in Immunology. It says here, vitamin C has a long history of fighting off respiratory viruses like the common cold and COVID-19. So vitamin C, it, quote, vitamin C also regulates inflammatory responses from a, according to a 2020 review of ascorbic acids, anti-infection immune regulating abilities. In animal studies, vitamin C deficiency has been linked with higher circulating histamine levels which can be rebalanced once vitamin C blood levels have been normalized. Vitamin D, probably my favorite nutrient to use from an immune standpoint. There is gobs of research on this. Um, it actually says here thousands of studies link uh, immune system function to vitamin D levels. There's actually a piece of research that talks about the health of a child uh, has at birth has something to do with the vitamin D levels of mom and dad at conception. So you guys, and vitamin D is not a vitamin, it's actually a hormone. So it says here, uh, thousands of studies link immune system function to vitamin D levels and hundreds have looked specifically at vitamin D in allergic disease. There are now many reports confirming the association between low levels of vitamin D and high rates of allergy. Now, here's the thing I need to tell you. I've been in practice now for almost 20 years most vitamin D supplements do not work. They suck. Your body cannot absorb them. So um, we, we actually we use a very specific product. Um, most vitamin D products have like one or maybe two ingredients. I think ours has north of 30 ingredients. By the way, I don't make this product. I just find biochemists that know their stuff and we use their product and we find like kind of the bang for the buck. So if you're curious about the vitamin D product that we use, just comment below or reach out to our clinic and, and, and it's, it's even in our store. This is from the European Annals of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. It said this, low vitamin D levels have been associated with children having more allergic diseases beyond asthma, such as eczema, hives, and food allergies. And the higher levels of immune system markers of, of allergy, like IgE immunoglobulins in the blood. So at the end of the day, this is allergies are a very real thing. And it's not a lack of things like Benadryl. It isn't, wasn't that study scary? about 54% about higher risk of dementia taking those over-the-counter seemingly harmless medications. So we have to heal the gut. We have to boost the immune system. We have to look at environments and make sure that we are doing the very best. So I, I love the questions. What a great topic. And there's going to be more to come. Have a great day.